Good morning. This morning's reading is from Zechariah, chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now and the prophets? Do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. Thanks, Neville. I feel a little bit like it's the Jamie McKenzie show this morning, but um, how about we pray as we open up God's word together. God, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. We pray that as we open up this part of your word, that you might speak to us, that you might challenge us, that you might change and comfort us, that you might help us to hear what it is that we need to hear, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, we are kicking off our sermon series in Zechariah. Zechariah is a book that uh, most likely most of you have not heard a lot about. It's kind of one of the hidden gems in the Old Testament. And uh, Zechariah is um, one of the minor prophets, and so that doesn't mean that he's um, unimportant. It doesn't mean that he was kind of under the age of 12. Uh, it means that he just has a shorter book than some of the other prophets. Uh, but Zechariah, he, um, his job, what happened was he... Israel had been conquered, um, they had been conquered by Babylon, uh, where do we go, uh, 586 BC. So 586 BC, almost 600 years before Jesus, Israel gets obliterated, smashed, Jerusalem falls. After years and years, generations of them saying, we don't want the God of Israel. In fact, we want the God of the neighboring nations. After years and years of kind of going their own way and seeking their own glory or trusting in their own strength, in their own wisdom, trusting in their own intellect, Israel is destroyed. Jerusalem falls. And the prophet Jeremiah says that 70 years, 70 years, this will last. And then you'll return and the kingdom of God will come about. And so the opening verse in Zechariah is a timestamp. So if you look at verse 1, it says, In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, 
the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. And so what it's saying is, um, the 70 years are almost up. The 70 years are almost up, but God's people have returned back to Jerusalem and they've returned to kind of the rubble and the destruction and it it just seems impossible, inconceivable as to how they might return to their kind of former glory, how it is that God's kingdom might come about. And so there is despair and that is where Zechariah speaks to. That is the people that he is preaching to. And so what he does is he, in this opening kind of six verses, he calls them to really do three things. He calls them to remember. There is a call to remember. A call to then repent. And a promise then to return. A call to remember, a call to repent, and then a promise to return. Firstly, the call to remember. You'll see in verse 2, verse 2 he says, The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. What he's saying is, Israel, look around. Look around and see the rubble, see the destruction, see the broken walls and remember how it is that we got to this place. Remember what brought about this heartache. Look at the tears on your wife's face. Hear the moans of your children as they are hungry and covered in ash and remember what it is that brought this about. Remember, the Lord was very angry with your ancestors. The Lord proclaims, Turn from your evil ways, from your evil practices. But they would not listen. They would not listen. They did not pay attention to me. And so where are they now? Remember what it is that has brought about this destruction. And it is um, not very um, PC, if you will. It's, it doesn't sit well with us in our current culture that God might be a God who might bring about destruction. That God might be a God who might bring about judgment. We love the idea that, uh, of a God of love. We love the idea of a God of acceptance and a God of welcome and a God of grace. 
But the idea that God might hold people to account for their wrongs, their selfishness, their greed, it doesn't sit great in our current climate. The idea that God might be angry doesn't is uh, as unpalatable as perhaps Donald Trump on Twitter. As oil in water. It just doesn't seem to mix for us. A few years ago, a few years ago um, in America, there was a 17-year-old boy called Kip, King, Kip Kinkle. And this 17-year-old boy, he uh, took a firearm and he killed both of his parents. Then he took that firearm and he went to his school and he killed two others and wounded another 24. And uh, at his trial, it became one of uh, the biggest kind of trials in America at the time, and his sister pleaded with the judge. His sister pleaded with the judge and said, he's sick, he's unwell, he's troubled, he's had a hard life, forgive him, show mate, show mercy, show grace. Pardon him. One of the mothers of the victim said to the judge in her testimony, she said, for him to be as tortured and troubled as we are is to me the only form, is, is the only final justice. And the judge gave him 110 years in prison. And this is what the judge statement said when he handed down the sentence. He said, young man, there is a price to be paid for every bullet. There is a price to be paid for every bullet. You see, if you have experienced a comfortable life, then you can't understand how a loving God would condemn people or count people's sins against them. But if you have experienced injustice, as many places in the world and some people here in this room, then the struggle is actually the opposite. If you have experienced injustice rather than comfort in life, you will struggle with the idea of how is it that a good God could not hold people's sins against them. How is it that a good God could be a God of mercy? In fact, the biggest issue when you go to kind of Israel and uh, uh, Pakistan and some of the Middle Eastern kind of countries, their biggest struggle is not that God would hold people's sins against them. Their biggest issue is how could a good God forgive people? Their biggest problem with Christianity is that God would let people off the hook that he would show mercy to them. 
because there is a price to be paid for every bullet. There is a price to be paid for every bit of selfishness, resentment and hatred. As the late Tim Keller said, if there is no judge in the end, what hope is there for the world? But if there is a judge in the end, what hope is there for us? You see, because a God who holds people to account is immediately a cause of concern for us. And Israel's biggest problem, what led to kind of the destruction of Jerusalem and uh, the the rubble and ash that they are now sitting in is that Israel did not think that God would judge them. Israel thought they were beyond God's judgment. And they did not think that their sins were that serious a problem. And they were dead wrong. And the Lord's anger burnt fiercely against them. And and this idea of God's anger, we often so often pit it against God's love and we go, how could a God of love be also a God of anger? I'll tell you how. Um, if you are a parent, you know exactly how these things mix together, right? Being a God of, uh, being a parent, not a God, you are in some sense a small God to your two-year-old or whatever. Being a parent of both love and anger. And sometimes you will be a parent of anger. Why? Because of your love. Like you see your small child running towards the road. Don't go, she'll be right. She's nimble. The car's better watch it. No. You call out. And not just do you call out and call out and call out, right? And that's what God's saying in verse 4 and 5. I called out and called out and called out. And they did not turn. They did not listen. They did not hear. They did not repent. I called and I called and I called and they kept going And what happens? You kind of tackle your child to the ground and you will be angry with them. What are you doing? Don't you know how dangerous this is? Parents, often grandparents, friends even, right? If you see someone walking in a way or there is whether they're doing drugs or alcohol or just poor influences or someone is hurting them, if you see that someone is hurting someone that you love, you will feel a deep, profound, real anger. Not despite your love, but because of your love. Because you care for that child and you see the impact that these drugs or this alcohol or this friend is having on them. You see the destruction of the path ahead and you see what it is bringing about and you'll feel anger towards that. What are they doing? Who are, who, how dare they do that to my child? Therefore, 
But remember, remember the Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Verse 4, therefore, verse, uh, where are we? Verse 4, therefore do not walk in the same path. Don't be like your ancestors. Don't be like your ancestors. Turn from your evil ways. Turn back, repent from your own self-seeking kind of glory, your bitterness that you hold on to, the resentment that you cling to. And and sometimes in church world, um, we can talk a lot about the the problem of sin or this or that, but, but we sometimes, for whatever reason, we just don't get to the space where actually... The preacher says, you need to repent of your sins. And this is an ongoing thing, whether you've been in church for four weeks or whether you've been here for 40 years. Like, I, I told you this before, when I was 15, 16, I was like, okay, I've got these three main sins, and if I just dealt with them, then I would be, you know, not perfect, but I'd pretty much have it most things together. I've been walking with Jesus now like 15 years, I've got, I've realized now I've got 30 problems that I need to repent with, right? And this is the hard thing about following Jesus, is sometimes it feels like you're not making any progress. Because the longer you walk with Him, the more you kind of see sin in your life, and so it feels like, oh man, I'm just not making any progress. But you're making progress, you're walking with Jesus, and that's why, like, more and more you're seeing sin in your life. You know, it's only when you hold up that manky old yellow shirt that's been hanging in your closet up against the white clean one that you realise just how yellow and gross that is. Repent. Whether you have been here four weeks or 40 years, for some of you in this room are holding on to bitterness of someone that really has wronged you legitimately, and you cling to that, that bitterness, that resentment, and it's like you're drinking poison expecting the other person to die. Some of you guys in this room, you need to repent. Maybe, maybe you're flirting with the receptionists at work. Some of you guys, maybe you're leaning towards just being lazy at home, not being a a kind father. Maybe anger is the way that you're playing itself out. Remember, remember the death and destruction that has come. Remember that walking in these ways only leads to death and destruction. And like a bait on a fishing hook, they promise pleasure, but they are only ever going to lead to a gutted fish. Sin is always like bait on a hook. It's tempting, it's promising pleasure, but it only ever leads to death. Do not be like your ancestors to whom the prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, but they would not listen to me, declares the Lord. 
Where are your ancestors now? Do not, Zechariah is saying, do not let history repeat itself, Israel. As the saying goes, for those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. And there's a play here, right? Because Zechariah, the word, the name Zechariah actually means the Lord remembers. Yahweh remembers. And so there's this play here going on where it's like, remember, remember what God has done in the past. Remember your promised relationship with him. And remember how Israel turned from him. Because God remembers. God has not forgotten. He has not forgotten the promises he has made to you. But he also has not forgotten the damage that sin does. Remember and repent. A call to repent. And and these kind of last two points are kind of going to go reasonably quickly. But firstly, let me talk about a call to repent. Um, Repentance simply means to turn back, to turn away from something. The child heading towards the road, if they turn around and walk back in the other direction, that is what they, they have repented. To turn, to trust, to say sorry, to take responsibility, to take responsibility for the, the self-centeredness or the ways in which you have failed to acknowledge or trust God really as we ought. And there is a call here to repent. Uh, one uh, modern author, he is not a religious author, and I searched everywhere for this, for the quote. I, I wrote the quote down, didn't write the book or the author down. So I searched everywhere, could, didn't come up with anything. But uh, there's uh, one modern writer, not a religious guy, but he writes about shame and guilt. And here's what he said. He said, um, we feel like sinners even though we have done away with guilt. He said, we have gone further than any society has in the past to do away with absolute right and absolute wrong. We have done so in order to be rid of this sense of guilt, to be rid of this sense of shame, And while we have done away with rules and regulations, and in spite of the fact that we don't believe in a God, people cannot be rid of this sense of shame, the sense of unworthiness, the sense of sinking under, of not being good enough, regardless of the influence of others. This is common to all. No matter where we run, it seems to follow. Not a Christian, not a religious guy. Incredible insight. No matter where we run, no matter what we do, it seems to follow. Some of the ways that I think we seek to run, the ways that we seek to kind of be rid of guilt and yet in practice and yet it never kind of comes to fruition. Let me talk about 
um, some of the ways that I think we fail or try to push repentance away. Okay, so we're going to do a diagnosis. There's kind of three ways I think we mainly try to run away from repenting. Uh, the first thing is just by simply distraction. So we mind, like we yell at our kids, or we um, do the wrong, like we say the wrong thing, or we've kind of looked at something that we shouldn't have looked at, or we whatever. And in an attempt to kind of numb ourselves to our guilt, we turn to distraction like Facebook scrolling, Netflix, food, and chocolate to just try to change the way we feel right or i know plenty of guys that i walk with and love dearly who uh, the place that they will turn to they say when they kind of feel that sense of shame and guilt is they'll turn to pornography to find momentary numbness but never any relief the second uh, place that i think we try second way i think we try to um, be rid of guilt and uh, to kind of be rid of repentance is uh, is blame. Blame, right? How often in your marriages, uh, if you are married, are you having an internal monologue with yourself going, if they just did this, then I wouldn't have acted like that? No, just me? Okay, yeah. Okay, well, confession time. Right? Man, the kids, how could they? Man, if my friend just would not stop talking about this, then this, right? We blame, we shift the responsibility towards either other circumstances or other people, right? This is their fault. You know, it's... Genesis 3, right? Right back at the beginning, the earliest thing. It was the woman you gave me, God. And then the woman, right? Eve. Like, it was the snake you put here, God. And then the snake. (laughs) Right? She's trying to shift blame. No, 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 it's not me. It's not really my fault. Here's the other way we do it. We kind of take half responsibility. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I did that. I was just really tired. Half responsibility, right? Half taking it, half shifting the blame. Not on my own selfish heart, but just on I didn't have a good night's sleep. Third way, and again, you see it right at the beginning, right, is trying to hide. We try to hide from our guilt and our shame. Let me tell you a story. I, um, uh, Jacob was doing the wrong thing, and I, you know, he was playing with his brother and did the wrong thing, and I said, Jacob, and he got upset and ran off. Okay, you know, I'm trying to have a conversation, try to then go have a conversation with him. He runs into his room, runs off. I go in. Can I come in, mate? Sit down in his bed. And he's kind of like head under the covers, hiding under the blanket. 
I say, can I, can I lift this up? Can I come under the blanket as well? And so he says, yes. I come under the blanket and I go, we're doing this thing where, um, we're trying, he's got so many emotions at the moment. You know, he's five years old, so many emotions, which if you've ever had a five year old in your house with so many emotions, it means that you as a family are experiencing a whole lot of emotions, right? And so we're trying to kind of give vocab to that and help him kind of think through that. And so I kind of go, you know, what is it you're feeling, mate? When I, when I called out your name, when I said Jacob, because you're doing the wrong thing, were you scared? Is that what happened? Is that what you're feeling? Is that why you ran away? He said, no. I said, you know, were you upset? Were you angry? It's okay to be angry. And he said, no. And I said, well, how, how are you feeling? What's going on there? And then he said, I felt embarrassed. And I just thought, I never would have guessed that. But that is this sense of shame, right? That embarrassment is this sense of shame that he's feeling in the moment of being caught out, doing the wrong thing. He feels embarrassed. He feels ashamed. Right? And how often when we do the wrong thing do we either numb ourselves through distraction, seek to blame others or seek to hide away? And none of those things ever really provide relief. Only repentance. Only repentance. And every kind of AA group, every kind of recovery group knows this, right? The only way to really go through something is to firstly acknowledge the problem. And the problem's internal, it's not blaming others. You can't blame others, you can't blame outside, you've got to acknowledge the problem inside. And it's only when you do that, it's only when you take responsibility and confess that out loud that you can begin to walk in healing. And so the call is to repent for Israel. For all those who repent, for all those who turn and trust, there is an invitation to come and he will draw near. You see, there is a promise to return. Verse 3. Verse 3. And if you are an underliner or a highlighter in your Bible, let me encourage you to do this because... Verse 3 is, is really where it's at and it sets up the book of Zechariah. In fact, the whole rest of Zechariah is kind of fleshing out how it is we might see the end of verse 3 come to fruition. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Not all cleaned up. Don't, don't come to me once you're all cleaned up. Don't come to me once you've dealt with your mess. Come to me as you are. Messy and broken. Whether, whether you have done things that you just feel ashamed. Whether you're a thief on the cross. 
with nothing to offer, in kind of urine-soaked rags, just turning to the man next to you saying, remember me, remember me when you enter your father's kingdom. And Jesus' words to him, truly, truly, tonight you'll be in paradise. You will not be forgotten. Return to me, for I will return to you. I'm going to see just how that will happen over the next few weeks. Let's pray. Our good God and King, we thank you that you are our, our friend and our brother as well. That we are um, quick to stumble, quick to fall, quick to get lost. And yet the invitation to, to come back is not for those who have their life altogether. The invitation to return is not is for those who have wandered off. And there is a promise that you will return to us, that you will draw near, that you will come near. And so we look forward to that day when when all these promises will be seen in full, that promise in Revelation that, that you will come near to us, that you will return and, and there will be no sun. Why? Because you will be with your people. And we look forward to that and fix our eyes upon that. In Jesus' name, Amen.